Welcome to Slate Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. Come on, here we go. Hey, why don't you go ahead, you can grab your seat. Why don't you turn to somebody, shake their hand, tell them you're glad to see them in church today. Let them know who you are. Yes, yes. Is the mic still on? Yes, it is. Amazing. We doing good? Everybody excited that they get a day off tomorrow? Isn't that a great thing? You you glad for that? Cool, apparently not. Who has to work tomorrow? Hands up. Sucks to be you. My goodness. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, That's the way it goes. Hey, somebody's got to serve the rest of us our coffee, okay, when we go out tomorrow. I get it. I get it. I get it. Or whatever you're doing. I don't know. Whatever it is. Thank, Thank you for working tomorrow. You're keeping the world going. We appreciate it. (laughs) <laughs> we doing good? What a great night it is to be in church. What an exciting time to be in church. We're excited for what God is going to do in this place tonight. You know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Amen. Listen, I don't know how you're feeling today, but you don't have to be mad today. You don't have to be sad today, but you can actually be glad because this is the day that the Lord has made. And I really believe that he wants to speak to us tonight as a church. I believe he wants to speak to us as individuals in this place tonight. And Regardless of what your past week has looked like or what you come in here carrying or uh, what your preconceived ideas about what church is or should be or should not be, I believe that God wants to speak to you tonight, and, and I believe that God has a plan for your life, and he's got a purpose for your life, and, and I also believe that tonight uh, he wants to reveal to you some of what that is. And so I'm really looking forward to speaking to you tonight and communicating God's word, and let's lean into God's word. Let's lean into all that he has for us in this place. And um, I really believe that if we come with a high level of expectation, I believe that God is going to meet that. And so let's lift our level of expectation for what God can do in this place. Let's believe that he's going to speak to us, that he's going to uh, move tonight. And, and let's lean into his word. You know, it's my prayer that it wouldn't be my words that communicate tonight, but really that it would be God's word that is communicated tonight, because although my words uh, might be able to encourage us for a moment, God's words are able to transform us for eternity. And so it's God's word that is actually important in this place, and we're going to gather around God's word tonight. And uh, we're going to actually start by jumping into the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to read just one verse, but we're going to get into a whole lot more Bible as we go, but we're going to be reading from Matthew 13, verse 44. And this is what it says. If you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to follow along on the screen behind me. This is what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. All right, why don't you write down this title for my message, and then we're going to jump into the rest of it tonight. You can write down this title, All Seasons, All In, all right? All Seasons, All In. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, All Seasons. Turn to your other neighbor, tell them, I'm All In. 
Come on, let's pray tonight. Jesus, thank you so much that you're here. Thank you that we get to gather around your name that is above all other names. And we just pray that you would speak to us in this place tonight. We pray that above all else that your name would be glorified. And Jesus, we we just ask that we would just have a lot of fun tonight gathering around your word. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, about two weeks ago, uh, as lead pastors, uh, we actually went on vacation, and um, myself and Pastor Emma were actually brother and sister, and so Brandon sort of spoke to this this morning a little bit, and maybe you've seen on Instagram, we've been together even on our vacation, and maybe you're thinking, that seems weird. What are they doing? They work together, they pastor together, they vacation together. Yes, because we're also family together, and we love each other, and we love going on vacation together. In fact, there's nobody else I'd rather go on vacation with. It's awesome. We have such a great time, and we were away with my parents as well, and uh, we got a cottage at Sobble Beach, and um, it, it was awesome. It was an incredible time, and I love being able to go to the beach. Anybody love the beach? Any beach lovers? Come on, all the tanned people in the room, right? It's amazing, and that's one of my favorite things to do at the beach. I love going to the beach, and I love setting out my towel or my beach chair, and I love lying in the sun, okay? You know what I'm talking about. You feel the rays of the sun on your back or on your front, and it feels incredible, and it's like a warm hug from the sun. It's an amazing thing. It's great, Uh, and uh, more oftentimes, I'll just fall asleep in the sun, which results in some pretty bad sunburns, but I don't even care because I just love going to the beach and laying in the sun. It's such an awesome thing to do. And and there's another activity at the beach that I sort of have a love-hate relationship with, and that's actually swimming at the beach, okay? And I love it because it's fun to go in the water and jump over the waves and throw a ball around in the water and all that kind of stuff, but I hate it because you have to actually get in the water first to be able to do that, okay? And listen, in a tropical location, this is no problem, but how many people know that Sable Beach is a long way from Bali, right? You know what I'm saying? And uh, Lake Huron is not the warmest of places to get into uh, that water. And now, listen, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, this guy's such a wimp. This guy is so weak. This guy is such a baby. What is wrong with this guy? Why can't he just get into the water? What's the matter? Well, then your thoughts would be directly in line with my wife's thoughts, who think the same thing about me when it comes to me getting in the water, because my wife is a Swedish Viking, and so she gets in the water by getting off her blanket or her towel or whatever, and she walks into that water, and her Viking blood runs so true in her veins that the water gets out of her way, okay? The water's more afraid of her than she is of it. So it's kind of this crazy thing. And so uh, we try and go into the water. And for me, I have been able to boil down my process of getting into the cold water at the beach into a very easy to understand manageable 11-step process, okay? And I'm going to share it with you right now. Step number one is called sweat, okay? This is when you're on the beach and you're sweating and you're so hot you think that you're going to die and you're like, I got to get up and I got to go into the water. Step number two, I call journey to the depths, okay? This is where you get off your towel and you're making the long journey down to the water's edge and all of a sudden the air feels a lot colder than it did when you were lying down on your towel. Step number three is called tiptoe. Everybody knows what this step is, okay? This is the step where you get up to the edge of the water 
and you put one toe into that water and nothing has ever felt colder than that water in your entire life. And you think all of a sudden that water is freezing. A moment ago, I was very warm. I was so hot. Now I am absolutely freezing cold. Step number four is called shock, okay? This is when you quickly realize how cold that water is and your body wants to go into shock. Step number five is called doubt, all right? This is where you say, I have made a grave mistake. Why have I left the beautiful sanctuary that was my beach chair, and now I am here. I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to do this. Will comfort ever be there again, which leads to step number six, which is self-pity, which is where everybody is looking at me. I can't do this. What's going on with my life? Will I, will I ever know warmth again? Step number seven is fear. What will these other people on the beach think about me? What will my family think about me if I don't get in the water right now? What will my three-year-old niece who is waiting for me in the water think if I can't get myself into this water right now and the fear just starts to grip your life step number eight is agony this is where all of a sudden you're ankle deep and all of a sudden you're knee deep all of a sudden you're waist deep guys you know that step what I'm talking about all of a sudden you're chest deep all of a sudden and with the agony every single step of the way is the sound effects ooh, ah, ee, ooh, ah, ah. every single step of the way with agony step number nine though is defiance all right this is a step where you say I will not be overcome by this cold water victory is mine in the name of Jesus and you just claim victory over that situation Step nine, step number 10, accomplishment. I did it. I'm in the water. This is the best ever. This is awesome. This is pretty fun. Step number 11, of course, the final step is pride, right? This is when you start making fun of the people on the beach who are having a hard time getting in the water themselves. Saying, what's wrong with you, you big baby? Just come in the water. It's beautiful. Those are my 11 steps. Of course, my wife has a totally different process, and her process boils down to two steps. Step number one is called dive, where she just dives into the water. Step number two is called condescension, where she makes fun of me for not getting into the water and tries to splash me for it. And these are the steps of us getting into the freezing cold water at the beach. And where it takes me a whole lot longer to get in, it takes my wife, Victoria, no time at all. She's able to just go all in to the water. And in life, I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person who's more like Victoria, who is all in when it comes to life who is all in when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. You know, as a church, let's be a church that is all in when it comes to our passion and our desire to serve Jesus and to serve other people and to live for him every single day and reach people with his good news. Let's be all in, all seasons, all in. You know, we're currently on the edge of a new season, and we're entering into it. It felt a lot like fall today. It's a little colder. It's a little bit rainy today. And summer is beginning to fade away. And autumn is uh, going to begin. And with it comes a lot of excitement. And comes a lot of anticipation. And, and everything starts up again. School starts up. And there's, there's some more consistent rhythms and routines of life. And maybe for you that's something that you are so excited about. And something that you've been looking forward to. Uh, but maybe for you this shift in seasons, uh, along with it comes a whole lot of dread. And maybe right now you're just dreading this shift of seasons and, and there's just a heaviness that is weighing on you right now and you're worried about what's going to be and what might come next and, and you don't know what to do. And the truth is that we all experience different seasons in our lives and we all experience different seasons differently as well. And all of us in this room right now find ourselves in different seasons of life, And perhaps you're experiencing your best season ever and things are amazing and things are wonderful and that's awesome. 
But perhaps you're here and you're experiencing a tough season in life and you're experiencing a season where you're unsure and you don't know what to expect and you don't know what's next. And I don't know what kind of season you're facing right now, but I want to encourage you that in the midst of whatever that season is, uh, whatever it might be, you can still live a life that's all in for Jesus. All seasons all in, no matter what you might be facing. If you're facing doubt or insecurity or despair or, or if you're facing the greatest promotion and the greatest step of your entire life, whatever it may be, you can live a life that is all in for Jesus even in the midst of that season. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, Solomon outlines a list of 28 different seasons that we can experience in life. Amongst them, he writes, there's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance, there's a time to keep silent, there's a time to speak, and he goes on and on through all of these different things. But one season that he does not list is a season that we should give up on Jesus. He does, it doesn't list a season where we should give up on who God is. He doesn't say that there's a time where we should quit on our life, where we should quit on our faith, where we should stop being all in for who God is. Because even though we might face different seasons, we can still be all in. You know, James tells us in James 1, 2 to 4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, we need to recognize that in life we will go through different seasons and sometimes we can't even anticipate what those seasons might look like. But even in the middle of it, whatever it might be, we need to praise God and we need to lift him up above our current circumstance and situation. And we need to say, God, even though I, I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And declare Psalm 34 verse 1 that says, I will bless the Lord at all times, even in the midst of a tough season. His praise shall continue continually be in my mouth in all seasons of life we need to be all in all seasons all in but what does it actually mean to be all in for Jesus what what does that actually look like and earlier in this message we read a passage of scripture that I think gives us an example of what it looks like to be all in when it comes to our relationship with God in Matthew 13 44 Jesus He's sitting down with his disciples, and he's teaching them, and he, he tells them this one parable, this illustration. It's a metaphor. It's an example of what the kingdom of God is like, what relationship with Jesus looks like. He says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. See, here in this parable, we... We follow a man who's walking into a field, and he's walking along, and he comes across something that is unusual, something that he probably wasn't expecting, something that was not normally there, something that seemed out of place. Perhaps he didn't even know what he found at first, but then eventually he realized what it was, and he had discovered this treasure in this field, this lifetime's worth of wealth, and more riches than he could count. It was just lying there unguarded and unclaimed in the middle of this field. I remember one time I found ten dollars okay lying on the ground and I remember it was the kind of thing like you pick it up and you like look around to see if anybody's around nope cha-ching that's in my pocket now okay and it's like an amazing feeling could you imagine what this guy is feeling coming across this incredible treasure in the middle of the field and he wonders well how can I even have this treasure what do I need to do and the real the way the what he realized was that the only way he could obtain this treasure was to buy the field so he sold everything that he had so that he would have enough money to buy the field and obtain the treasure. And really, this is what all in 
looks like. This man was willing to give up everything that he had in order to attain that which was even greater. Now, the point of this parable is to communicate to us the infinite and precious worth of knowing Jesus and being known by him. Right? This man sold everything to obtain this treasure. He gave up his home and his furniture and his livestock. He gave up the things that he made, that he was building, that he was working for uh, on his own. He said goodbye to all of it in an instant because he saw that what he would gain was far more than everything that he had to give up in order to get it. And understand that this illustration that Jesus, Jesus gives does not mean today that we all need to leave this place and go out and sell our homes and give away all that we have as if the thing that will gain us eternal life through, as, as if that is the thing, the action that will gain us eternal life through salvation. Because salvation through Christ is actually a free gift. It's already yours to receive. It's been given to you. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But what this story illustrates is that Jesus is worth our everything. He is worth all sacrifice that we can make for him. He, he is worth uh, being all in for. He deserves all of our love and all of our adoration. He deserves all of our lives, not just some parts that we want to give to him, but Jesus deserves our everything. We need to be all in. See, Jesus asks for all of us, not just a part of us. But giving him our lives means that we enter into a new kind of life. We get to experience life with Christ on a daily basis. We don't just accept salvation as a sort of get into heaven when I die kind of membership card that we carry in our wallets until we appear at the pearly gates one day and we can flash the card and say, okay, now I can get in. But that's not what it's about. When we give all of ourselves to God, we can start living a kingdom life here and now. Life where Christ is alive and active in our day-to-day -day lives. Where our lives overflow with peace and joy and hope that comes from knowing him. All in. And this parable, it challenges me when it comes to my faith. Because I've had to ask myself, am I all in on this kind of level? When it comes to the way I live, am I all in? Am I willing to give Jesus everything, every last piece of me, every desire, every hope or dream that I might have? Am I willing to actually give them to him, knowing that if I do, he will take me places far further than I could ever make it according to my own strength? And it's a great challenge for us today. I think it's important that we consider this, this kind of faith, this kind of, faith, this kind of all in living. And this afternoon, I want to look at the early church that's outlined in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and they themselves were living all-in kind of lives for Jesus. And I want to look at what they were doing, and I think we can draw some examples and lessons for ourselves today of what it looks like to live all seasons all-in in our lives and how we can actually do this. And really, these six verses that I'm about to read to you and that we're going to look at today, they paint this vivid picture of what marked the first church, the things that held those believers together, what inspired them to really leave everything behind for Jesus' sake, what sustained them in the face of difficult opposition because they were all-in. And so let me read these next couple of verses to you. Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, listen to this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Come on, this is what all in living looks like. And the first way that we see that they were all in, point number one, they were all in with devotion. They were all in. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Take note of that word, devoted. They devoted themselves. You know, as lead pastors, it's really our prayer that Slate Church would be a church that is marked by its devotion. That we would be marked by our devotion to God. That we would be marked by devotion to his word. That we would be marked by devotion to one another. You know, being devoted means uh, being focused on, that one, on one thing almost exclusively. It means placing the cause of another person's desires above your own. Being devoted to something means giving your life to something. It means being all in for something. And, you know, we are all devoted to all kinds of different things in our lives, aren't we? We can be devoted to our own pursuits. We can be devoted to our careers. We can be devoted to our families. We can be devoted to our interests and fine But above all else, we need to live our lives with a relentless devotion in following Jesus Christ, an all-in kind of devotion to Jesus. See, this is how the early church operated. It was not just about faithful attendance or spiritual routine with them, but it was about all-in devotion. And I think that's something that we can learn from if perhaps we might find ourselves uh, now and then uh, living lives that is just some sort of spiritual routine, uh, going through the motions of relationship with Jesus. But that's not what it's about. We need to be living an all-in kind of life with Jesus. And we read, what were they devoted to? Well, for starters, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which was them teaching God's word. You know, I wonder... Are you devoted to God's word today? Uh, Is the Bible something that you treasure? Is it something that that you are excited to read? Is it something that you can't go a day without? Is it so important to you because of the way that it nourishes your soul? You know, I think that many of us need to fall deeper in love with God's word. And that we need to learn from him. And we need to learn what he says. You know, it seems strange to me, and I'm guilty of this time and time again. But it seems strange to me that as Christians, we are so often willing to go and learn from almost anyone and anything except for Jesus. You know, the first time that we don't know how to do something, we run over to Indigo and we try and get the first self-help book that jumps out at us on the shelves. You know, there's an author, philosopher, theologian. His name is Dallas Willard, and he remarks on this. And he says... We are ready to believe that the latest studies have more to teach us about love and sex than Jesus does. And that Louis Ruckheiser knows more about finances. That Dear Abby can teach us more about how to get along with our family members and co-workers. And Carl Sagan is a better authority on the cosmos. Now listen to this. He says, where we spontaneously look for information on how to live shows how we truly feel and who we really have a confidence in. And then he goes on. He says, and nothing more forcibly demonstrates the extent to which we automatically assume the irrelevance of Jesus as teacher for our real lives. 
Now listen, there's nothing wrong with self-help books or leadership books or anything like that. They're all fine things. But when we turn to those as our primary source of wisdom, before we turn to God's word, we are misplacing our devotion. See, they work well as supplementary sources of information in our lives, but it's only through God's word and knowing him that we can gain true wisdom in life. And if our gut reaction to gaining understanding and knowledge and direction is to turn anywhere other than God and his word, then it in fact does point to that which actually holds our true devotion and confidence and even our worship in its hands. See, if you want to live a life that's all seasons, all in, you got to start living all in with devotion to God's word. They were also, de- they were also develop- devoted to fellowship. And they were devoted to being in relationship with one another as early Christians. They were devoted to doing life together. And what a powerful part of the church that actually is. It's something that we don't talk about enough. The, the power of the community that we have here as a church, when we do life together, we don't have to live lives in isolation. We don't have to feel this overwhelming sense of being alone in the world because we're not alone in the world. God is with us and we are with one another. And we gotta be devoted to fellowship and relationship and community with ourselves as believers. We need to be there for one another. You know, there's an old saying that I I love so much because I've seen it at work uh, so much. And it's show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I've said that many times before, but I'm amazed at how I've seen people that have so much potential and so much passion and and zeal for life, and they surround themselves with the wrong type of people, and all of a sudden, what happens? All that passion and zeal for what could be is snuffed out by people who are negative and who are cynical. But I think as a church, we've got a great opportunity to surround ourselves with people who love us and who care for us and who want to encourage us and who want to see us succeed and who want to see us take new steps in our faith and our relationship with Jesus. The kind of people who aren't going to say, you should skip church and come to this today, but the kind of people who are going to say, I'll be in church early and I'm going to save you a seat there. That's the kind of people that we need to get in relationship with and we need to surround ourselves with. You know, you've heard us talk as lead pastors time and time again about connect groups at our church, and this is why we're so passionate about connect groups at our church because it is you getting yourself in a community of people who love you, who care about you, who want to see you succeed in life, who are going to pray for you, who are going to be there for you. And what does it cost you? It takes one hour every two weeks. And I'm sorry, but if you can't uh, see how good of a return of investment that that is, then I think that you need to get a new revelation uh, of the power that exists within a community of believers who are united together by their love of, uh, by their love of Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize this. And so, hey, maybe even in this shifting of seasons that is happening uh, right now, maybe today is the day where you sign up to be, into a, be in a connect group. Maybe today is the day where you take that step. You go to next steps after the service. You talk to somebody at our connect table in our lobby and you sign up. I think that you should because it is, the great, it is a great way to actually devote yourself to fellowship with other people in much the same way that the early church was. And thirdly, we read that they were devoted to prayer. And when the Bible talks about prayer here, you, you know, maybe we think of it as prayer alone by ourselves in your bedroom, and that's fantastic, and we should be doing that. I think that that's a good thing. But the reference here is actually indicating prayer in a church setting. It's actually indicating uh, prayer, the gathering of believers in church together. And, you you know, for the the early church, this was in people's homes. It was in the temple. And for us today, it's here in Maxwell's. 
We gather uh, at the Inn of Waterloo in just two weeks' time. We gather at Lions Hall in Elmira. We've got all these different rooms of our church that we, that we gather in right now. And I think that we need to be devoted to the gathering uh, of us as believers that we need to be devoted to actually coming to church, that we need to be devoted to attending like this because it's so powerful for us to actually come into church and worship God together, lift up a mighty shout of praise, a mighty sound of praise together as a, as a church, a community of believers. And so we need to make sure that we're also devoted to coming out to church. And, and again, I want to challenge you, and I hope that you want to challenge yourself in this new season to be all in. What does all in looks like? It look, look like? It looks like coming to church as much as you possibly can and looking forward to it. It means more than just once every two years or something like that, but actually just plugging yourself in and being all in when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. You know, there's a Swedish teenager right now who's making headlines all over the world. And uh, I've read so many articles about her this week. I've just stumbled across it. And the reason that she's making headlines is because of her devotion to her cause. And it's an amazing example of what it looks like to live a life that really is all in. And the influence that comes from living this type of life. And, and I think it's amazing. Her name is Greta Thunberg. Okay? In Swedish, Greta Thunberg. And uh, my wife told me I, she was going to laugh at me for pronouncing it in Swedish as if I'm trying to show off that I can speak Swedish, which I totally am. So I hope you're impressed. And she is... Uh, uh, bro, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon just said, good, in Swedish. And, um, and she is a climate activist. And, um, you know, the craziest thing is that she was born in 2003, which is messing with my mind completely. And, uh, you know, she began uh, the devotion to her cause by skipping school on Fridays and protesting outside of the Swedish parliament to gain awareness around the risks associated with climate change. And listen, believe what you will about her message, but there's no denying that she is making a huge impact on our world because of her devotion to her cause. Just this year, she was named the most important woman in Sweden. She was on the cover of Time magazine, and they named her one of the, most, one of the 100 most influential people in the world. In June, Amnesty International gave her their most prestigious award. She was given an honorary degree from the University of Mons in Belgium. She's just been featured in the September issue of Vogue, and she's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, and she was born in 2003, okay? This is absolutely unbelievable. You know, just last week she arrived in New York City after sailing across the Atlantic Ocean in a sailboat together with the Prince of Monaco to raise awareness for her cause, and she arrived at a press conference with people cheering her on. All right, she doesn't come from wealth. She doesn't come from a privileged background or anything like that. Here is just a person totally devoted to their cause. 16-year-old girl from Sweden, completely devoted to that which, which is important to her. Could you imagine with me for just one moment what it would look like if as Christians across the world we were to live with the same kind of relentless devotion to the cause of Christ? If we were willing to step out and speak out and speak up for what we believe in? If we were willing to do whatever it takes to live lives that are truly all in? Come on, let's not just sit back and think that somebody else will do it and someone else will take up the cause, that somebody else will go and invite people to church, that somebody else will speak the name of Jesus, that somebody else will go and love people 
and I don't have to. Let us be all in, devoted to the cause of Christ like never before. Let's live with this kind of devotion all seasons, all in. The, th- the second thing that we can learn from the early church here is that they were all in with wonder. See, what happened as the early church devoted themselves to the Bible and to one another and to prayer? What, what happened? Well, verse 43, we read that awe came upon every soul. They were filled with awe. They were filled with wonder. They were filled with reverence. They were filled with adoration. And awe is an interesting thing. It's almost hard to describe exactly what awe is, although we throw around the word awesome all the time, don't we? I say this word all the time. Oh, that's awesome. That looks awesome. That really is awesome. You're awesome. That's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And it's almost lost the awe in the word at all. We, we throw this, this word around, but I think real awe is something so much deeper and something so, so different. See, awe, it makes itself known in a whole different way. And too often we think of evangelism as some sort of marketing pitch like a way that we can try and persuade somebody who doesn't know Jesus to agree with us in one way or another, and it rarely works. But in the early church, something very different was actually happening. See, they were being filled with awe because of their devotion to who God was, and others were noticing the awe that they were filled with. Now, see, this is truly awesome. See, listen to this. Awe overwhelms the mind to get to the heart. See, it's when you can't comprehend what is going on, but in your heart you realize how amazing something is. This past June, as lead pastors, we were in Whistler, and we took a a little trip on the peak-to-peak gondola from Whistler Mountain to Blackcomb Mountain. And I'll tell you, we were in this gondola, and it was just us there, and we were overcome by this feeling of awe, of how absolutely awe-inspiring the mountains were. And it was just an incredible, incredible thing, an amazing moment. And right now, I would not be able to possibly do justice by explaining through my words to your mind the, the the sensation and the feeling and the experience, because really awe is an experience, the experience of awe that we had in that moment. But anybody, any one of you who have ridden the peak-to-peak gondola at Whistler would know exactly what I'm talking about, because you too have experienced that awe. And I think it's the same thing when we experience Jesus. There is an awe that overwhelms us, that goes beyond our understanding, and it transforms our hearts. And I do want to say this. I want to say that no experience and no feeling and no emotion can lead to real life change or or true joy unless it is based on the truth of who God is. We need that truth. See, awe is not just about some sort of nice, fuzzy, warm feeling that we try and muster up for ourselves. But real awe, it's rooted in truth. But Christianity is not just about getting the truth right? It's about having the truth capture our hearts. Okay, there's a lot of people who know a whole lot about the Bible, but the truth that is contained within scripture has not captured their hearts, right? And that's why you'll meet cranky, grumpy Christians who love to complain and they're angry all the time, but they can tell you every single Bible verse that you could ever imagine and they'll beat you at a sword drill every single time and they just know the Bible inside and out, but they're angry and their life is overflowing with this negativity all the time. And that's because although up here they know what the truth is, they have not allowed that truth to actually transform their hearts and they have not 
been filled with a sense of awe and wonder over who God actually is. See, we need to allow the truth of Scripture to overwhelm our lives and fill us with this sense of wonder and awe. We need to be all in when it comes to our wonder of who God is. We need to make sure that we're not just going through the motions of church and coming here and singing and entering in with no expectation that God is going to move or do anything at all. But we need to again and again and again be freshly filled with a sense of awe and wonder for who God is because awe is not the experience of meeting Jesus just for the first time but it is a day in and day out faith in and community with one another and in relationship with God and as we watch God move over and over again in and in our lives and in and through the lives of other people our hearts cannot help but be awakened and filled with a sense of awe for who God is let's be a church that is moved by God let us be filled in awe and wonder and as a result let's be all in with our relationship with who he is. Let the awe and the wonder that fills us manifest itself in us singing praises to God, bringing our worship to him, giving our all to him, giving him our praise. As the words in Psalms say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Praise God. All right, last thing. Point number three. Point number three, they were all in with generosity. See, the early Christians, they were devoted and they were filled with wonder and awe and they had this relationship with God, but that did not mean that they didn't focus on one another. They didn't have to choose between being a church that was all in pursuing God and between being a church that was all in and dedicated to the needs of those around them here on earth. In fact, the more that we get to know Jesus, the more we will desire to meet the needs of others and serve other people. Acts 2, 44 to 45, it says, all who believe to were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, Christianity is not cause for believers to focus solely on their relationship with Jesus, but it actually encourages us as, as individual believers to recognize our role as a vital part of the body of Christ. See, God promises to meet our every need and many times he will meet our needs through other people. And many times God wants to meet the needs of other people through us. And God has gifted each one of us, and we are gifted not for self-promotion and not just for self-expression, but instead to bring glory to him and to fill what is lacking in someone else by meeting their genuine needs. See, God has extended us grace. Grace being a gift that we do not deserve. Salvation. We, we, didn't, des we didn't deserve it, but he has, through grace, extended that gift to us. But his grace is not meant to end with us, but it's meant to extend through us to other people. See, if we don't live lives with selfless and sacrificial compassion, uh, grace ends up in storage and not in action. And listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want the grace that I have received from God to end up in storage in my life, just knowing that it's there serving only me. But I want it to be something that motivates me to love others and serve others and care for others like never before. And the first Christians, they knew this. And because they had this incredible revelation of God's promise and the giftings in their lives, they let go of all they had to help one another. And they made the, this, this made absolutely no sense to the world around them. It was generosity on a seemingly reckless level it seemed foolish but when we live lives filled with the joy of knowing Christ our joy faced with need looks like compassion it looks like sacrifice it looks like generosity and we need to be all in with generosity loving people and serving people and helping people and being present and being with people whenever and wherever there is a need 
Think about your life for a moment. Are you generous with your life? Are you the kind of person who's all in when it comes to your generosity? And listen, I just want to make it clear once again, that doesn't automatically mean that you're just going to give away all of your money. But are you generous to other people? Are you generous in your actions towards other people? Are you generous with your words towards someone else? Are you generous towards a person who is lonely? And listen, if you think that the only way to be generous to a person who is lonely is to give them money, hey, that might cheer them up. But the thing that would actually help them is if you gave them your time. That's what would actually help that person. The person who is doubting themselves, they would be helped if you would be generous with your encouragement and your words to this person. See, God isn't looking for us to sell everything we have, but that doesn't stop us from giving everything we have to him. See, you can still give your house to God without having to sell it. This is something that Victoria and I have tried to do. Where we said, God, take this house and use this house. Let this be a place of worship. Let this be a place of peace. Let this be a place of healing. And guess what? It has been. God has used it in incredible ways. You know that you can still give God your car. You can pray over it. And you can say, you, God, use this to transport people to church. God, use this. Let it be a place where deep conversations happen, where encouragement takes place. God, I give it to you. Let's be all in generous. Let's be all seasons all in, whatever it looks like, whether you got a dollar or a million dollars, you can be generous in your life and the way that you live your life and the way that you represent Jesus to other people. Let's be all in with our generosity. And now what was the result? What, what was the result of these people living in these different ways? Well, we see that it was lives transformed by the joy of the Lord. And I love the last sentence in this passage of scripture. I think it's so important where it says, the Lord added to their number day by day. See, the devotion and the wonder and the generosity, it becomes irresistibly contagious to the world around us. People were being added to their number day by day. See, if our lives, listen to this, if our lives are committed but not compelling to anyone, then we need to ask ourselves some questions about what it really is that we're committed to. See, we can commit ourselves to that which is not compelling, or we can commit ourselves to Christ, who is ultimately compelling as we are filled with his presence and as we live lives overflowing with the fruits of his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a compelling way to live. It's a contagious way to live. It causes people to ask, what have you got, and how can I get that? You know, Dr. David Youngi Cho he was a young Buddhist man living in South Korea, and he was dying of tuberculosis in, in a terrible state of poverty. However, he had been compelled upon learning that the God of the Christians helped people and healed people after meeting a girl who would visit him and tell him all about Jesus. See, she was committed, but the way she lived her life was also compelling. And so he asked their God, the God of the Christians, yes, their God to help him. And guess what? God did help him. He healed him miraculously, and Dr. Cho was filled with the kingdom life that comes from Jesus and now flows through him into other people. And Dr. Cho started a church in South Korea, in Seoul, South Korea, called the Yoido Full Gospel Church. And that church right now is nearing a million people as its members. It is regarded today as the largest church in the entire world. All because of a girl who was willing to live a life that was so full of faith 
a life that was overflowing with her faith and her love for Jesus, and it compelled somebody. Come on, let's live lives in such a way that people can't help but take notice. Let's live all seasons all in. And I believe that as we live this way and as we operate this way as a church, that we will see people added day by day and week after week and year after year. And we will see our church continue to grow. And we will continue to make an impact on our region. And we will continue to make an influence into the lives of people, into the neighborhoods, into families, into different places. Let's continue to be all in. And we will continue to see this growth happen, not for the glory of the name of Slate Church, but for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all other names. And we're going to be moving into the Inn of Waterloo in two weeks, making room for more. And what a great thing that is. But guess what? That's not our forever home because we're going to have to move out of that place when we grow out of that. And we're going to continue to grow as we live all seasons all in and because God is going to add to our number day after day after day. And we're going to continue to lift up his name and make his name known. So listen, whatever your season you're in right now, make a decision tonight to be all in, to be all in for Jesus. Commit your life to God tonight. Go all in and I believe that God is going to take you further than you could ever imagine further than you could ever get in your own strength. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet this evening? Just in closing, I want to pray for two groups of people. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.